Let us begin with a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, help me to preach faithfully and help us to listen faithfully. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. Our sermon today is titled Gospel-Centered Ministry, Continuous Growth to Maturity in Christ. Uh, you may want to keep your service order open as you'll be referring to the passages from there. There was once a steamboat that delivered its cargo of precious sandalwood from one town to another. Once a month, the steamboat will make its long trip to the bigger town where the cargo of sandalwood will be delivered to be processed and sold. But one day, the steamboat just happened to be on the same route with a modern ship. Suddenly, the captain of the modern ship suggested a race, even as he mocked that old steamboat. His pride wounded, the captain of the steamboat told his men to prepare for the race, and off they went. Halfway through, the steamboat started to fall behind because they did not carry enough coal to last the race. The captain then had an idea. He commanded his men, throw the sandalwood into the furnace. And with this new fuel, off the steamboat went, easily beating the new ships and arriving at the bigger town. Now as the steamboat docked, the captain came down. The staff at the port asked for the cargo. It was then that the captain realized that in his desire to win, he has actually lost because he has burnt away all the sandalwood that was meant to be delivered. In his desire to win, the captain has forgotten why he was doing what he was doing. Friends, in our desire to do better, to prove ourselves, to gain respect and friendship, there is a danger that we can lose sight of why we grow in Christ, why we serve in ministries, why we continue attending church. Our topic today is about our growth to maturity in Christ. This would mean the changes in who we are and becoming more like Christ, which is seen through our character and our heart. However, there is a right way to grow and the wrong way to grow. And that's what we want to be thinking about today. Now, the first thing that we want to think about is, what is the purpose of our salvation? Now, God does all things with one great singular purpose. That is for His glory to be revealed to the world. So even our salvation itself has the ultimate purpose, revealing the glory of God to the world. In our Old Testament reading from Ezekiel 36, we saw God saying in verse 22 that it is not for the sake of the Israelites that God will act in salvation, but it is for the sake of His holy name that He will act. God then continues on in verse 23 to clarify that God's purpose in salvation is to vindicate His name as God shows His holiness through His people. God then promised to clean them, put a new heart, put His Spirit within the people, so that then they will behave in such a manner that the nations will come to see God's holiness 
as they see his people. Now immediately we can see, this is us. We are cleansed from sin. God has put in us a new soft heart that responds to him. He has placed his spirit within us. So that as we go out and the world sees us, the world is meant to see that God, that Christ has made this change possible and give glory to God. So through this, we can say this is God's plan for his church. That is why it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Our growth in holiness and service to each other is part of God's plan. Now the big question to ask, does the world see Christ as they interact with you? Is God's holiness vindicated as you go around the world and tell people, I'm God's people, I'm a follower of Jesus? Do they see that about God from your behavior? Or are you a stain on the name and good honor of God? Are we people of such love and grace and forgiveness and composure that the world can't help but wonder about the source of our godliness. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12 teaches us, right? Do we keep our conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against us as evildoers, actually they may see our good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation? Will they? Now, none of us are perfect. But do we see changes in us that points to this goal? Do we see signs of this growth in maturity in Christ? Now, if we do, then that is great. Then we are growing towards maturity and what we want to make sure is that we are going rightly in Christ through a gospel-centered vision and not merely growing like those who don't know Christ because they also grow. But if what we see within us is a spirit of rebellion, if we are argumentative, if we are disliked for our character, if we lack sacrificial love towards others, then we must realize that we are not growing along the right path in maturity in Christ. We are not responding to the gospel in the right way. Now, we may have many excuses for our character flaws, for our weaknesses, but that doesn't mean we stop growing. We should seek to grow in holiness. Now, truth be told, by God's perfect standard of holiness, we all fail, one way or another. And friends, that is why the gospel is such good news for us. Let me explain. Think about how the gospel factors into our thinking about growth. The gospel is about receiving God's forgiveness by faith alone and by God's grace alone. Faith alone. Because we learn to trust in the promises of God, in the sacrifice of Christ at the cross. That's what we learn throughout Easter, isn't it? That he died, he rose again because of his love for God. Because he wants to redeem us. We did not bring anything then to the table in regard to our salvation. We are not able to change our hearts to make it holy and righteous. Because if we were able to, 
then God would not have offered us that precious gospel purchased through the painful suffering and death of his son Jesus. God would have then just come and said, do better. But he didn't. And so as we come trusting in the gospel that God offered to us, we are made right. Grace alone. Because we don't have it in us to be able to do this. We can't earn it. So God gives us the gospel because he recognizes that we need help. God does not come and demand for us to perform and excel in things before he accepts us. God calls us to trust in him, to listen to his wisdom, and through his grace towards us, God promises to work out what needs to be worked out. So as we come to think of this, in relation to growth and maturity as Christians, we must see that in this aspect, we still rely on God. Remember what the Old Testament promise in Ezekiel is? It isn't just that God cleanses us, washes us from our sin, but that God also softens our heart to respond to Him, and He puts His Holy Spirit in us. That means, even as we struggle to be better, we win that struggle not by relying on our strength, but coming to rest on God's grace, relying on God's strength. What does that look like? That means being soaked in scripture, reading it, listening to it, speaking it to each other, until our soft hearts finally respond and leads us to change. God has granted that grace through the gospel to us. So what does that mean, that we have these things now? That means not relying on our strength. But instead, we look for this growth by pleading with God to work in us through the Spirit. To pray, to desire holiness, to be open to the work of the Spirit in us. To listen to the conviction that comes as you hear God's holy word. Yet, we do see God does us difficult things from us. But as we come to rely on God's grace and we learn to follow through the conviction that comes from hearing God's word through scripture, we do grow. And that growth is what God desires from us. One word of caution though. If you hear the message today and you say, yes, I am lacking in my growth in Christ, then you go home and you whip yourself into a frenzy. I need to work harder. I need to do better. You have missed the point. In our weakness and failures, we are supposed to come to God to think back of the gospel and the cross of Christ, to learn to be thankful for our salvation and to love Christ for what he has done for us. That's the whole point of us having all our special liturgy in Easter, isn't it? To bring that, what Christ has done, deep into our hearts. And so, it is when we do that, that we will listen to what Christ has commanded and do what God has ordered us to do. And then, and only then, will we grow in the right manner. So friends, this is what it means to be gospel-centered as we seek to grow. It's not so much about growing, but rather it's about growing in the right way. 
Growing as we place trust in God to help us. Growing as we look at our failures and weaknesses, but in the light of God's saving grace. Growing as we admit our weaknesses and our failures to God, even if it's daily. And ultimately, growing as we seek to draw closer to God in repentance and trust. Now, the next question to think about is, how then does this growth in maturity in Christ looks like in a practical sense? Now, we can see from the New Testament reading from Ephesians, God has provided with different people, with different gifts, who are to come together to build up the church. And from there, as the church comes to maturity, the church then learns to have a right understanding of doctrine so that it will not be cheated by false doctrine, deceitful schemes, or human cunnings. Then, we see that the church speaks the truth in love so that each and every one of us are grown in maturity in Christ. So from here, we see that in terms of growing to maturity in Christ, this passage of Ephesians paints a good picture of what that looks like. There is the speaking to each other in love to build up and edify. Then we see that there's a picture of us serving each other for the sake of growing in Christ-likeness. And also the picture of us deepening our understanding of Scripture so that we will remain firm and not be deceived by false teaching. If we look at our Gospel reading from John chapter 15, then we see Jesus commands his disciples, Love each other. We also see in the Great Commission, Jesus wants us to obey the things that he has told us to do. Go out and make disciples of the nation. So if we put all these things together, we can draw a systematic picture of what the gospel drives us to grow in maturity in. So if I can simplify things, we can say that the three areas of Christian growth are loving one another, learning to obey the commands of Jesus, and being built up in sound teaching. We can even simplify it and categorize this as head, heart, and hands, if you want to. Heart is about loving God, loving each other, and loving our neighbor. Head, learning the right doctrines, understanding scriptures so that we are firm in our belief. Hands, Obeying the commands of God, seeking to do the things that are right and good. So, that's a simplified way to think of Christian maturity. And if you can only take one thing away today, then just remember, to grow in Christian maturity, we need to grow in all three aspects. Head, heart, and hands. Now, let's have a look at how these three aspects look like, what it means to grow in the wrong way, and how that compares to growing rightly, by being gospel-centered. Firstly, let's look at the heart aspect, growing in love. The primary aim of this, growing in love, is to build up the body of the church. And this comes then as an outpouring of our love to God, leading us to love each other, resulting in the church then going out to love our neighbors. But we can be doing this in the wrong way if we're not gospel-centered. What would it look like? Well, imagine two churches, both are known for their love, one is not gospel-centered, the other one is gospel-centered. In the non-gospel-centered church, most likely they will be doing things to make other people feel happy. 
They will praise each other. They will puff them up a little. And that's associated with this feeling of love, isn't it? Saying positive things, being encouraging, making sure everyone's happy. And so in this church, everyone's going to feel appreciated and happy. But ultimately, when there's a need for gospel truth to be told firmly, they will avoid doing that. Because what's important is loving, being happy, having that good relationship. Why risk conflict? Why rock the boat? So in a church like that, sin will abound. Because what has become important is the feeling of love, the keeping up of the appearance of harmony, rather than solid gospel-based growth. There'll be no space for saying the hard things. No space for rebuke. There will be a semblance of love, but it won't be real love, right? Because real love is about speaking the truth. Now contrast that with a church that loves the brothers and sisters in a gospel-centered way. They would still give criticism, but they will do it with love because they care for the other person's growth. They will not shy away from telling someone off if they are behaving in an ungodly manner. Feelings will get hurt. But because they remember the gospel, that they too are sinners saved by grace, that will drive them to not hold on to their hurt, but seek to listen in love and grow from it. There will be disagreements, differences in opinions, hurt feelings. But because of the gospel, there should be a restoration of relationships. They will understand that we must love each other if we love God. And that will drive their motivation then to make peace and at the same time, speak the truth in love. This type of love is the type that can build up the church so that the church can then go out into the world and do the hard thing of speaking the gospel truth in love. So, it is when the church is gospel-centered that the gospel will meaningfully go out from that church. If you're not loving from a gospel-centered position, your love to the world will be about making them happy. So your priority will be give them food, aid, welfare, but you know, if it's going to offend them with the gospel, maybe donate lah. Right? Take care of their needs only. We are scared of rejection. So if we do not practice gospel-centered love, there will be no gospel proclamation from the church as well. Next, let's talk about obeying Jesus' hands. In the church, which is not centered on the gospel, obedience to Jesus very quickly will become about performance, about rule-keeping, ritual observations, competing with each other to see who is able to keep the rules better, who appears to be more holy. Who's the one that comes earlier to sit and pray? Who's the one that takes the longest time to pray? Those are the things that we'll use to measure growth. And if someone comes and confesses their sins, I failed to do this, I'm not very godly, what happens? They'll be attacked. They'll be pushed to do better. Do better, man. You should know this. This is sin. How can you? We will shun you. But if you are gospel-centered, then you know it's actually doing things out of your love for Jesus. Your goal isn't merely obedience, 
But it's about your relationship with Jesus. So these church members, those who are gospel-centered, they will actually rejoice when a member comes and confesses their sin. Why? Because they're confessing it to the church. And the response then is to lead them, to pray for them, to pray with them, and remind them to come to Jesus. The gospel-centered church will see Actually, obedience to God is hard because the gospel teaches us that we are sinful creatures. We fail. We can't be holy and righteous by our own strength. And at the same time, we see in the gospel, God accepts us. He puts His Holy Spirit within us. And thus, through faith in the gospel, we see that that is where we need to go. The gospel when sin wins in our life. So we heard last week the need for us to have passion for the loss. And if we realize this and, if we, and you feel that, yeah, I, I fail in this, I don't, share the wrong, uh, I don't share the gospel as often as I should, the wrong answer would be for you then to go and force yourself to go and do it. Have a set of boxes and say, tick, 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 this is what I must do. It won't be genuine. It will be works-based. What's the right answer? You first come to Christ. You admit, my heart does not love those who are unsaved. I don't have a care for the loss. And then ask his help, please change my heart so that I will delight in sharing the gospel, that I will delight in telling people of the greatness of God. That's where you should start. Next, sound teaching. When a church is not gospel-centered, teaching and knowledge of God's words puffs up. People will be proud of how much they know, how well they can teach. The focus becomes on how smart, how many verses he's memorized, rather than how godly or kind or loving the person is. So you can see, right, how even something good, like studying scripture, gets on the wrong track if the gospel is not the central focus of the church. So for a church where the gospel is central, we will see that the teaching and learning of God's word is essential and important, no doubt there. But this teaching is tied into God's grace in building up his church. He wants us to read his word and know his word because he desires that his people will know him more. So the goal then of all this teaching of reading scripture is to lead people to come to God and love him. So in line of that, knowledge of scripture then, the word will still be used to rebuke, but with the goal of bringing someone back to God, restoring them to right relationship to God, reminding them of the gospel. The word then will be used to help people Help them to be more gospel-centered, more loving, more kind, and not about getting them to study, getting them to affirm theological truths without pointing to a need for a heart change. So being gospel-centered when it comes to sound teaching simply means you use the word in the right way to bring people to God rather than about academic excellence. As we come to the end, reach the conclusion, 
Of course, we realize we could continue on, right? We can discuss more and more on what the shape of this continuous growth looks like. But let's face it, we already know all these things. Sharing the gospel, reading God's word, giving our time, energy, effort, money and heart to God, serving sacrificially. So instead of telling you to do these good things, which you already know, more important it is for us to remember to do these good things with the right frame of mind. That is, by doing it in a gospel-centered way. So think about it. Are you going back to the gospel in the things that you say? When you rebuke someone, is it coming from the gospel? Is it because you love that person, you want them to come to God? Or is it because you're just offended at them? You think, how can this fellow do this? Lah? So if you do that, repent. We want to see the point is for us to remember to keep on coming to the gospel, to be shaped and molded by the gospel, so that what comes out, the growth that comes out, is godly, true, right, and blessed. So if you feel you're stagnant in your Christian growth, come back to the gospel. If you feel that you're not obedient to God, come back to the gospel. If you feel, I should be doing better, come back to the gospel. And that's the reason why we want to be doing things in the right way. Because when we come back to the gospel and we grow through that into maturity in Christ, it actually gives us assurance of our faith. Because if we measure our faith in the wrong way by seeing how much am I giving, how much am I serving, and, and we put all the standards in, we might think we're good with God, but actually we're just following a works-based religion that does not rely on God. So trust in the Holy Spirit's work in you, not your own work. So that as you grow to maturity, you will know Yes, you can have this assurance that you're working out your salvation with fear and trembling, as the book of Philippians reminds us. Finally, as we choose to grow in light of the gospel, we will grow, we will grow for God's glory. We won't be growing for the wrong reason. So, for example, if we evangelize, we won't evangelize just to get more people to attend the church. Instead, we'll be interested in making disciples of Jesus Christ. So when we share the gospel with people, they don't just merely become project which we disregard if they don't seem keen. We will still care about them. We will still seek to love them even if they reject the gospel. Then our reaching out to them is genuine. Not just, hey, come and join my church. Not interested, ah, dead to me. So we will not care about external appearances as a church. We will not care that everyone confesses and pretends to be sin-free perfect and holy and righteous. Rather, what we will look for is whether each member of our church is coming to God, is building up their relationship with Him and trusting in Him. Therefore, we will care for real growth in people's heart and not just surface obedience to the rules. And so it is for this reason, friends, let us remember to come to God to hold on to the gospel and grow in the right way as we seek to respond to Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and we pray that even now as you work in our hearts, help us to come back to the gospel and help us to grow in the right way. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen.